Thank you for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for our series on the seven I Am Statements of Jesus. You can find us every Sunday morning in person at 1030 a.m. at the Village on Casino Road, or also visit us at our website, southeverett.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Enjoy today's podcast. for preaching the word of God in the temple. And they were released. They went back to their people and prayed this prayer. In Acts 4, 29, 31, that says, And now, Lord, take notice of the threats they have made, they being the priests and Sadducees that I was doing, and allow us, your servants, to speak your message with all boldness. Reach out your hand to heal and grant that wonders and miracles may be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they finished praying, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to proclaim God's message with boldness. Boldness is one of the first characteristics the Holy Spirit imparted when he came and dwelled with us when Jesus died and resurrected. And through prayer, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and given boldness. We can be courageous through him, not through our own strength. This is something that's not easy, right? It brings tension. It brings discomfort. Um, but we also have to remember Romans 8.31. That says, if God is for us, who can be against 
Sometimes boldness isn't leading, it's serving. Sometimes boldness isn't confidence, it's humility. Sometimes it isn't shouting, it's tears. Sometimes boldness is not overcoming trials, but it's enduring them. My example, Miss Mary Reed, that I carry in my heart, how she's waiting for God to heal her, but her endurance is just an example of her boldness. Sometimes boldness isn't what you say, it's about what you do. Sometimes boldness isn't about what you do, it's what you say. Sometimes boldness is not taking charge, but helping along. Sometimes it isn't public, it's private. Sometimes boldness isn't about what you want to say, but what you have to say. Sometimes boldness is about what you're free to do. is not about what you're free to do, but what you're bound to do. Sometimes boldness isn't telling someone how they hurt you, but blessing those who did. Sometimes it isn't about the faith to go, but the faith to stay. It isn't about telling the world what's wrong with them, but telling them what's wrong with you. It isn't just, boldness isn't just praying for someone else. It's asking someone else to pray for you. Sometimes boldness isn't telling them off. It's loving them in. Sometimes boldness isn't about doing what it takes for profit. It's doing what it takes for purpose. Sometimes boldness isn't about drawing a line for your kids. It's telling them where you've crossed the line when you were young. Sometimes boldness isn't taking a stand against someone you disagree with, but sitting down with them and listening. Sometimes boldness isn't about believing God for more, but believing that what you have is just enough. Sometimes boldness isn't declaring a preferred future. It's remaining dedicated to God no matter what the future holds. We saw that example last week with Tessa. She was sent off. Not to the plans she had for a very long time, but to the plans that the Lord has for her. And she doesn't know what's at stake. She doesn't know what she's going for, but she's going in boldness. To hope is bold. To forgive is bold. To love is bold. To be patient is bold. To be joyful is bold. To give is bold. And to dream is bold. As the Messers, Messner said in their message last week, be bold in prayer and ex expect him to use you however that may look like. Father God, however it is that you want us to be bold in our lives, in whatever place in our lives, we want to do it in you, in your purpose, with your Holy Spirit. Your purpose, not ours, Father.
my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield, though troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. He has been outsized by his wounds, in su justicia y en la cruz. De nadie más defenderé. that Danessa shared with us about boldness, specifically how boldness isn't always conjured up in our own strength, Lord, but it is upon the witness of your death and resurrection, Lord, a temporary death that leads to eternal life. Lord, we want to be bold in your strength and not our own, and so... Lord, again, we just submit the places to you in our lives that feel like they might be dead or dying. Lord, those dreams, those hopes, those ambitions, Lord, you want to do more with it than we could ask or imagine. And so, 
God, we do, Lord, as we continue forward here in this time of worship, Lord, we look to you. God, we look to you, not our own strength, not our own purpose, our own understanding, Lord, we look to you as the one who brings us hope. Lord, let us focus this time, Lord, our hearts, this this gift of gathering together as the body of Christ. Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. We're here together, growing together as leaders on mission, Lord. And would you fill us with everything that we need in Jesus' name? church of Jesus. Uh, This week the church was scattered in many places. It was scattered up in the mountains. The church was scattered in houses. Uh, Julie opened up her house to the the ladies in the church and they had a magnificent time on Thursday evening. The church gathered this week in parking lots. Last night there was a carnival that our youth and our children put on. The church was gathered in courtyards. The church is gathered in community rooms. It is gathered and scattered and we are the people of Jesus and there is life in this body. And as we grow in relationships, somebody asked me last night, what are you excited about concerning this church and the fall? And I just said, I'm excited for us to continue to grow together in relationship and see what takes place. For 36 youth, adults, and children to gather here last night with many of our neighbors in conjunction with Connect Casino Road Kids Ministries, there was a party going on here last night. And relationship was forming, and relationship takes time. Right, But there are things happening. The Lord is doing things relationally to build disciples who are growing together on mission in ways that we can't even see yet. So we just stay committed to one another and growing and opening up that space for more people to engage in relationship. Amen? We are concluding our eight-week series on the seven I Am Statements of Jesus. We've gotten to hear from a lot of friends. And one more that we hear from today, our friend Mark Einfeld. So I had a chance to meet Mark, I guess, still less than a year ago, which is interesting because I feel like I've known you 
for so much longer, and we've had a chance to connect and do some fun things together. Uh, but Mark uh, came by invitation of Christian. They had a relationship and friendship that existed back to their Mill Creek days. Mark and Sofan and their kids, the Einfelds, were at one point church planters in the inner city of Philadelphia, which is, I believe, where you grew up. Is that right, Sofan, in Philadelphia? Mark uh, grew up, we actually grew up in the same neighborhood, blocks from each other, and never met each other. Mark has, had moved to Philadelphia to be a part of this inner city missions project. They did that for uh, a decade and then moved back to the northwest and moved back, uh, reconnected with Mill Creek Foursquare, and then were part of the church planting team led by Trevor Loya uh, into the city of Mount Lake Terrace. That congregation existed for about four and a half years, and the Lord kind of concluded that. And the beauty of that was that we had a chance to receive the Einfelds into this community of faith. And boy, have you both and your children just been an igniting force of life and vitality. We just thank God that he's brought you here. Uh, Mark is a diligent preparer. Uh, he's, a, he's a professor. He is employed by Edmonds College. Teacher. And teacher. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can call you professor. <laughs> You're my professor, Mark. <laughs> Uh, and information and technology works there and just has a passion for seeing Jesus and his power released in the workplace and in the city. And he's an asker of good questions. We took our, our 15 and 16-year-old sons away on an overnight camping trip up to Rachel Lakes a few weeks ago. And uh, when you go on a, a, a more extended hiking expeditions, I guess you get trail names. This is a thing that I'm learning. So it's this nickname that goes along with something that you do well or not so well on the trail. My nickname is Yard Sale because I leave stuff everywhere all the time. Uh, and, and they realized that and experienced that. But we were sitting out uh, at sunset watching the sun go down until the stars came out. And for well over an hour while we were out there with our boys, Mark just asked one good inquisitive question after the next, after the next, after the next. And it is his heart. What got communicated to me was that Mark is really interested in knowing people deeply, knowing who God created them to be. And I just love the questions. I think the boys, I don't know, like, it seemed like we are having a good time out there. Maybe it was you and me. But uh, he asked good questions. And so we're thinking about trail names on the way down. And we're like, well, Mark asked good questions. So we'll call him Question Mark. Question Mark. So I want to introduce to you our friend, Mark Question Mark Einfeld, as he comes to share some word with us this morning. So. Normally I've got hat on, beanie on, I'm cold, I run cold, so now you see what I really am. I'm part of the Bald Brethren of America. A few of us are part of that. So um, yeah, let me continue with the question mark kind of with that vein. As I work through uh, John 15 today, um, I'll be asking us questions. God is asking us questions. And, and the questions are meant so that we could really uh, just allow God to inspect us, allow God to, to have this conversation with us in order for us to then respond. Um, as I read through John 15, um, the other thing I want to point out, Chris Manginelli would always point this out back at Mill Creek Foursquare. The Holy Spirit's here to convict and correct to lead us to completion, not to condemn. So as we work through uh, John 15, and I just highlight some questions I'd want us to ask ourselves, that's the goal. The goal is never condemnation. The goal is to be built up into Christ. Mm -hmm. All right, um, let me just open in prayer before I read John 15. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Uh, your body loves you. Uh, we thank you for life. 
we truly do. And we just ask that you would continue to preside in this place, that your presence would be here, that you would speak to us, and that you would change us for your, your purpose. God, you know our hearts. You know how we pray to you in our prayer closets. God, would you draw out more faith? God, would you make yourself real to us and cause us to shine like stars in the universe for you? Mm-hmm. In your name, amen. Mm-hmm. All right, so let me read John. Actually, you know, before we read John 15, I forgot. Um, I do want to remind you of the I am statements that were covered. Um, the I am statements that have been taught upon where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep or for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And obviously now we're getting to, we're about to read John 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine. So that's where we've come from and now we're going to, I am the true vine. All right, so John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and uh, thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask it, the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. May God again bless his words. Um, Chris gave me quite the introduction. I've taught for, I want to say, almost 17 years, three years as a third grade teacher, a year in high school, and for the last 12 or 13 years, I've taught at uh, Edmonds Community College, and it's child's play teaching at college compared to, like, third graders. So I give props (laughs) to all the elementary age or any middle school teachers, too. Um, normally when I'm teaching, I'm going through a slide deck, I'm giving my examples from life and IT, and it's very concrete, you know, outline and this concept and that. Today, again, I really wanted to take a devotional approach. Again, a do- devotional approach in that we can see some of these questions and really respond to how God might be asking uh, those of us. So again, as we work through this, I'll point out some of these questions, the questions that we'll get to in the end. Uh, we'll get to during the, the message, but also we'll cover at the end. Uh, The first thing um, I want to point out is Jesus says he is the true vine. And he says this on the heels of John 14, saying he's the way, the truth, and the life. 
And really this, it's a, it's a deep call to abide, to live in him. And the first things I want to point out with Jesus being the true vine is this. Um, he declares to be the true vine and to the hearers of the day, as Greg Matt would point out in his book that Chris has referenced, um, I Am Changes Who I Am, this would remind the hearers of the day of the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 5. And in Isaiah 5, God says that he dug and cleared this area, this ground to plant a vineyard. And so the hearers of the day would, would see or see hear Jesus saying he's the true vine, but they would also remember that Isaiah had spoken, that God had planted his people as a vineyard. And unfortunately, when he, when he planted, that vineyard yielded wild grapes. It didn't produce the fruit that God wanted. God did. It's like the Garden of Eden. God gave um, Adam and Eve to the garden to, to rule over it, and yet they didn't follow through. And the big point that, that Greg Matt gets at in his book is while Isaiah is so poetic and pointing out how careful and wonderful God is to do all of this, the people couldn't do it. And Jesus is the true vine. He's the replacement. He was the fulfillment. So as we hear this statement, Jesus is the true vine, we have to remember we couldn't do it without him. He is that true vine, that, that source of life that we, we come to. The other thing I want to point out with Jesus being the true vine is the word true. Through my notes. Uh, it sticks out. And the word true, let me find, where am I at? Uh, in Greek is aletheine, meaning genuine, real, and truthful. And Jesus didn't say, I am a vine. He didn't even say, I am the vine. I'm the true vine. And so he is this replacement where all of life stems from. And that's a really weighty uh, thought to, to hold on to. But he is the vine that offers life. And one of, the, one of the thoughts that God brought to me was, okay, if he's the true vine, what are these false vines that we try and draw life from? Where do we go away from the true vine to other places to try and live, to try and cope with everyday life? And so the question I have up here is, what false vines have we attempted to draw life from? Why do we run to other sources of life? You know, when we do get into groups, this is something I'd want us to ask ourselves. Where have we tried to do something in our own strength? Where have we tried to get fulfillment again outside of Christ? Again, we've already read the whole scripture. We know when we do that, we just don't bear fruit at all. It might taste good for a time, but we're not producing uh, what God uh, wants uh, of us or what God has really planned for us. Uh, we do know, you know, when we look at this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. But again, oftentimes we don't run to the true vine for help, and we, we run elsewhere. And we, we look for that extra help to get, get us through, and we miss centering our lives on, on the one who is. Uh, the second point I want to make is that the Father is the gardener. So Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the gardener. And it's very, the next thing he says, or other renditions say he's the vine dresser. Uh, the statement has great importance. The father is not the vine. He is outside of the vine. He takes care of the vine. As Witness Lee notes, the father is the source, the origin of the vine. It was planted by him and is cultivated by him and supplied by him. He is its soil, its sunshine, its air. The son is a vine embodying the father. 
all that the Father is, has, and does is wrapped up in this vine. So we see this intimacy with the Father being obviously the architect or the one that's overseeing and obviously doing that ultimately for us. We see that in this communal relationship with the Father and the Son. And we, we know that the Father is separate from the vine. Again, he's the caretaker. He is the one that is going to prune both good, both uh, pruning for good, but also pruning for taking away uh, bad branches. Um, we see the work of sanctification here, this work of cleansing, that God is, has our best interest in mind to help us remove things in our life that, that are ugly, uh, that aren't bearing fruit. And he's doing so that we might grow up into the fullness of Christ. That, that's what he's after. And we have to see this, this gardener analogy, this agricultural analogy as what it is. Like This is a truth in everyday life. When vines are well-maintained, they produce a lot of fruit. When they're not watered, when you let weeds grow, when you don't cut back vines or branches that aren't growing, you don't have the full pro, uh, produce or the full production. Um, Safan and I actually have a raspberry garden area that she planted some time ago and then the raspberry bushes if you will took off the plants took off and last year we had an amazing yield we had i'd say almost a, a small bowl full of raspberries every day but this year we were well we all got COVID in the end of may kind of lingered with that for a bit trudged on through june and july and we just didn't tend to the vine and so this year, I got maybe a small little half a cup each day of, of raspberries. But that maintenance was lacking. We, didn't, we weren't the gardener type. And again, my wife is the, really the green thumb, but I'm getting there. But you have, to, you have to maintain that. You have to, in our case, to allow the Father to work on us, to pull things away that might have been stumbling blocks in our lives for quite some time. Um, the question that I would run to next would be this. What in my life needs to be pruned? Again, pruning is how can God use us to bear more fruit? But it's also we can see that, you know, he's going to take away the bad branches and they're going to get burned. So how can we also get rid of or shed some of the things that are uh, the sin that so easily entangles? Uh, so much of what we're seeing in John 15 correlates throughout Scripture where Paul says to, you know, to live in the Spirit so that we have the fruits of the Spirit and not you know, uh, the deeds of darkness or, the, or the, the deeds of the flesh. And we see that, that comparison again here in the Scripture. But do I have any branches that need to be cut off? What in my life needs to be cleaned or pruned? And again, this is the, these are some of the harder questions to ask ourselves. We don't want to talk about it. We don't even want to talk about it in like an accountability group because you, you just kind of shudder and you go, yeah, I've been pushing that away for a long time, but, but it's there. And it for, or in order for us to be God's, to shine brightly for God's glory, we have to allow the Holy Spirit in and, say, and begin to receive the conviction for the correction so that we have the completion. And the completion is so that we are Christ-like. All right. Um, so let me, um, when we think about things that need to be pruned, it doesn't just have to be lifestyles. It could be an attitude. could be a behavior. could be a belief. Again, when we believe the wrong things, that can lead us astray. Uh, so 
allow God to speak to you through that, that question, those questions that were just up there when we get to that time. All right, so the big picture then we've seen in this text is we are called to abide. We are called to live in Christ. And so then the question that becomes is, what does that look like practically? And I know some of us know some of these answers, but I do want to talk through some some ways that we can abide with Christ um, that you might not really have have heard of before. Uh, Before I get into those ways, let me read again what it says in John 15, verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, here's the promise, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you, or it will be done for you. Again, I've said our lives are solely dependent on the living God. We've read scripture, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We, We know that. But the call is to live it out on a daily basis. Uh, Before I get into these ways of abiding, sorry, I got ahead of myself, I do want to read through a quote from C.S. Lewis that really points out this, this dependent nature that we have upon God. And the quote says this, He makes, we are made. He is original, we derivative. But at the same time and for the same reason, the intimacy between God and even the meanest creature is closer than any that creatures can attain with one another. Our life is at every moment supplied by him. Our tiny miraculous power of free will only operates on bodies which is continual energy keeps in existence. Our very power to think is his power communicated to us. Such a unique relation can be apprented only by analogies. From the various types of love known among creatures, we reach an inadequate but useful conception of God's love for man. So as we jump into abiding and we think about how we can, or we talk about how we can abide further, how we can actually abide in the being and the doing, that's kind of the the backdrop I wanted to present. Um, Before we show a video clip, Chris, kind of shared something with me about what one of his pastors said. So we were camping and Chris baited me into talking about it. And so there's a video clip that kind of talks about abiding and then we'll talk about the practical things. Chris and I were hiking on the trail and he mentioned that one of his mentors, Jim Hayford from Eastside Foursquare told him, you know, abiding in Christ, abiding in the Lord is like getting in a hammock. It's kind of hard to do at first, but once you get in, you're, 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 you're nestled in, you're stuck. Uh, the point is, once you get in, you want to remain, or obviously the word means to last or to wait, to stay. So, in this case, you want to stay in this place. You don't want to get out. But I'm gonna make you stronger. Hold on just a little bit longer. The other thought with staying and waiting is remaining. Again, that's it's synonymous, but to remain means to linger, to to be there for a while. And when we're abiding in Christ, whether it's through silence or through the use of prayer word and meditation or the focusing on scripture, we remain there, we stay there. And that that brings life to our soul. That's where God is breathing 
his life and ultimately bringing about his fruit in our, in our state of being and in our state of resting. So that was the analogy that Chris shared with me while we were talking on the trail, but to abide means the actual Greek definition for the word manate means to stay, remain, to wait. So this is our call now. To derive life from God means to linger, to wait, to stay in him. And I really wanted to take a practical approach to then what does that look like? And so I'm going to run through six things that... um, many different Christian Christians throughout history have implemented or have, I don't want to say done, it sounds like doing, but have implemented in their lives a discipline to really connect or to dig into the Lord. Uh, the first one I want to mention is silence. Silence is where we can quiet our souls before God and let him speak. Um, in the words of John Mark Comer from his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, He speaks of silence and solitude, and he says this. Simply put, it's a moment of intentional time in the quiet to be alone with God. God is the one who spoke us into existence. And unfortunately, if you're like me, maybe it's only a few of you, when I run to prayer, I don't run to silence. I run to, God, I need help with this. And you said that your character is this. How come you're not doing that for me? Or... Hey, God, um, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Samuel says this. We know his story, but speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. How can we come with that kind of posture to draw from him? We, we see Jesus say this in the book of John often. I only do what the Father is doing or what he's shown me to do. And it's that same kind of posture that we can take. The next way that we can abide is through a prayer word. This might be totally new to you. Um, Sometimes people call it meditation. Other times we just call it scripture memorization. Um, I've read this in a book from Martin Laird. His book was called Into the Silent Land. And, And the whole idea of the prayer word is to pick some scripture and to consolidate it and to allow our brains to ruminate on say it over and over again and he he actually says the prayer word is like a mirror that reflects our own awareness when we first begin the inward turn to quiet prayer we are faced with chaos and the prayer word serves as an anchor in the storm a shield and refuge and refuge from the onslaught of thoughts feelings storms of boredom and fidgeting when we read scripture and something pops out at you, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you because he knows what you need, right? Remember that and begin to, and we, I say consolidate because it's something you're going to remind yourself over of, over and over again of. For me, you know, I, I've clung to Matthew 11, 28 to 30. He will give me rest. And yes, it, there's a larger passage, but I remind myself, I let my brain marinate in that. Or Psalm 23, as that was spoken before, I shall not be in want. Again, this is all done, whether it's silence or reciting scripture, but kind of consolidate or concise scripture with our creator in mind. He is the one that speaks things to, these things to us, and these are the things that we set our minds on. Philippians 4, 8, Chris has pointed out, says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. Where we put our attention to matters. And when we can draw from scripture, I read a good one the other day, a promise, a truth that says in Psalm 55, he redeems my soul in safety. That's enough to breathe in and to think that as you're exhaling and thinking, that is true of me. Uh, one of the ones, again, the Holy, Spe- Holy Spirit speaks to us for where we're at. One of the struggles I have is sometimes I feel like I'm just facing challenges and does God really love me? And I've had to remind myself over and over from Psalm 56, this I know that God is for me. Or I heard Danessa say, uh, Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Can you imagine if you dwelled or stayed or lingered upon that truth, how you would be changed? It was interesting as I was preparing for this that I stumbled across a BBC article. It was called The Science Behind Mantra Meditation. And uh, one of the quotes I, I took from this says this, be careful what you focus your attention on because you are changing neuronal pathways. This is what modern science is finding out thousands of years later after we already know that Jesus has called us to really dig into his words and to hold fast to his truth. You are, you are encouraging neuronal firing in the brain. You are creating stronger network pathways that eventually need to be undone. So be careful what you focus your mind on because it really will become your brain structure and function over time. And I'm the first to be guilty of dwelling upon negative thoughts or dwelling upon all these things that have to be done or the stresses of the world and not coming back to who does God say I am because the I am changes who I am. Um, Another author, Dan Siegel, who wrote the, the book Aware, says the very same thing. And this is, again, modern neuroscience. Where attention goes, your brain's neural firing flows and neural connection grows. The third thing I want to point out when we talk about abiding is scripture study. For the word of God is active, uh, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We want to study scripture. We want to know scripture so we have the, the greater understanding of who God is. So both J.I. Packer's knowing God and A.W. Tozer's knowledge of the holy speak to the very nature of God. I mean, he's immutable. He's faithful. He's just. He's the judge. He's loving. He's merciful. He's compassionate. Another thing that we can do to abide is what Chris mentioned earlier, the fellowship. The fellowship of believers that we meet on Sundays to be built up in our most holy faith with one another. That we are in this together, that we are the bride of Christ. That we are a chosen people, a holy nation. And when Safan and I lived in inner city Philly, it was a community (laughs) plagued by poverty, violence, drugs, murder, it, it, was, it was rough. Uh, North Philly was not the best place to be. And we were at Spirit and Truth Fellowship and Pastor Manny Ortiz, just he, he and, the, and the staff did an amazing job to, to build a community where we loved one another. And we were not just insular, but we were also reaching out in mission. And when we are together and know that we are growing and we are building something and that we can also reach out just felt safe. The last thing I want to get into um, in terms of abiding is worship. When we worship in, in a community setting, it's like taking all of our senses and allowing all of our senses to abide in him. 
and we're reciting scripture in song. We're calling our minds to focus on those things. But, but notice we're immersing ourselves. I mean, that's the staying, the lingering. Obviously, Jesus points out to, to abide in his love, to abide in his commandments. That's what we're doing when we're singing those songs and reminding ourselves that he is greater. He can do what we cannot do. And so the question I, you know, obviously would ask in, in this, before I get to that, is, is what, in what ways is God calling you to abide further? And this is just practical. I've listed six things. You know, if it's fellowship, it might be, I don't know a lot of people here, and God is calling you to be bold to reach out so you can learn stories about people that you just didn't know and learn about their lives so that you can be there for them. Because we, Scripture always speaks in the New Testament of we, the body of Christ, not me. We are being built up. I was reminded of a time in college, freshman year, when I had a friend that invited me to a Rich Mullins concert. I didn't know much about Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was a famous Christian musician, artist. He used to actually perform concerts in bare feet. He was just a humble person. He wrote the song, Awesome God, if that's probably one of the most famous ones you know, or Sometimes by Step. But this friend, Stephen, said, oh, you got to come. Stephen said, oh, please come see Rich Mullins. He's amazing. He's my favorite. So I, I did. And after it finished, uh, we lingered. We stayed, Stephen and I and a few other friends, and we wanted to meet him. We were kind of, I don't know, a little nervous, embarrassed. And we finally got to meet him. And Silly as, we, silly as this was, we actually got his autograph. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but we did. And what he, what he wrote on this like, piece of uh, merch or something that we had from the concert was, for me, it said, to Mark, be God's. Mm-hmm. And I went away, and I, and I heard all this lore about Rich Mullins and remarkable playing piano and guitar and hammer dulcimer, all these instruments. And he was so passionate and just raw with who he was with God. And I went away going, be God's. What? Well, how come he didn't say God loves you or God's going to use you greatly? Be God's. What, what does that mean? And I was a new Christian. I had rededicated my life that the previous summer. But what it means is this. I've been bought at a price. I'm not mine. I'm no longer mine, but I'm his. And abiding is all about that. Uh, someone in our group this morning, it was Norby, said, when the early disciples, they had seen Christ die, they knew what it meant to be his. And they knew that if Jesus rose again, they're going to be okay. Sometimes it's just harder for us that we didn't get to see it firsthand. So sometimes faith seems a little bit harder than if had we seen that and went, he did it, we're going to make it, he's the one that's going to get us through. If we now know that if we abide, we bear fruit. This is the great calling of our lives. It is an A equals B. If we abide, we bear fruit. Yes, in season, I heard a message last week that pointed that out. In season, we bear fruit, but we bear fruit. I said earlier, we were meant to shine like stars in the universe. Genesis 12, 2 says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. God's the architect. God was in charge of all of this. This was his design. And when you look down on planet Earth and you see all of us human creatures, his chosen creatures, the ones that are now his, they stand out, they bear fruit, they stick out. They are showing that they're different. They taste different. And we are meant to be that fruit to the world for his glory and 
to show the glory to others who just don't believe in the Creator, don't believe in the Redeemer, don't believe in the Comforter, who, who just don't see that and who think life is man-centered and not God-centered. We are meant to be that fruit, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10. This is our calling. When we abide, we bear fruit, and we are, uh, Dr. Manny Ortiz would say, we are his grand poem. The Hebrew word, I believe, or Hebrew, the Greek word there is poema. Uh, Matthew 5.16 says it again in a similar way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The word I got from God for this part was, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't want to represent the most holy God and to bear fruit? Who wouldn't want to represent Christ to the world? Who wouldn't want to? Matthew 25 says it this way, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. James 1.27 says this, Pure religion and undefiled before our God and Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I was reminded of Dr. John Perkins and one of his famous quotes is this, Love is the final fight. Mm. And so if you dig into Christ, you are called to turn the other cheek. You're called to love your enemies. You're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We are called to be his representatives. Again, we're called to, to listen to God, to really dwell in his presence, to stay, to abide, so that we might represent him to the world. Um, I, we do have the questions in a moment when we get into small groups, but I'm going to hand off to you because you wanted to share something. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Can we thank Mark for sharing with us this morning? We're going to pray and commission Mark into his new fall routine. I've been teaching online most of the summer, now doing some grading, but you start back, uh, is it the end of September before that? Third, third, third week. Yeah, we're just going to extend our hands and pray for Mark. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for Mark. Lord, thank you that you have called him as a growing leader on mission. Lord, thank you that you have called him to the city of Edmonds. Lord, thank you that you have seen it fit to share him sometimes with us in Everett. And Lord, would you pour your spirit out upon him? And Lord, as he abides in you, God, would great fruit come about in remarkable, unfathomable ways in the lives of students that he has the opportunity to interact with, to invest in, or that there would be a rich and deep curiosity that would come, or just by the way he conducts his life, by the peace that resides in him because of you, Lord. You say to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It's evident in our brother Mark. And Lord, would that just be on full display this fall as he heads back into the classroom, Lord, may more come to know you. And Lord, we send him into his calling and purpose in Jesus' name.